Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. John 13 tonight, if you'll turn there, we are moving on to our sixth attribute, characteristic of a disciple. I'm not going to take time to reiterate a lot of what we've already covered. I will just go through the previous five uh, attributes or characteristics as we are talking about living the life of a disciple. That's what really Jesus died and paid for. Uh, you know, sadly, religion, even religiosity, tells man Jesus died to get you to heaven. No, Jesus died to change your life. That's right. uh, heaven's a given. That's right. You know, people say, well, we're not going to heaven. Sure we are. That's yeah, right. if, we're, if our life has been changed, we know our eternity is not here. Our eternity is with him in heaven. So reality is there's nothing that Jesus ever focused on in his life about saying, hey, man, I came to get you to heaven. No, he came to change your life, came to make you a child of God and help you become a disciple of his. And thus, he says in Matthew 28, as we've already looked at, go and make disciples of all people. So thank you, Jesus, that we can be like you, live the life of a disciple. And as Luke 6 revealed to us, a disciple will be like his teacher. So you and I have the privilege to live our lives like Jesus lived. And thank God we can. Amen? The first key we talked about was in John 8, 31. Jesus said in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He did not say words. He said word. Logos, the whole of what he reveals to us in Scripture. If you abide in that word, you're my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth. And the truth to do what? Set you free, verse 32 says. So knowing the truth is by application, of course. But for us to learn that, we got to do what? Abide in the word. Number one, a disciple does what? A disciple abides in the word. Then we went to Luke 14 for several other key points you find out here in Luke 14 of what Jesus said about what a disciple is. The second point was found in Luke 14, 26. And he said, you can't love your father, can't love your mother, your brothers, your sisters, even your own life, your wife, your husband can't love any of these people more than you love me. If you do, you're not my disciple. So clearly, what's the second key? Jesus must be our first love. Doesn't mean we don't love other people. We love them through the love Jesus gave us. But if he's not our first love, then we begin to do what? Worship people. We begin to follow people. And we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to follow Jesus. A little further in that chapter, in uh, verse 27, Luke 14, 27, he talked about a disciple doing what? If you do not bear your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. What's bearing the cross again? A disciple takes up or lives out the Father's will. His goal is to walk out and fulfill what the Father's will is for their life. As we prove to you through the life of Jesus, that's what he's referring to. And that's doing what? Putting on the new man. You and I are putting on this brand new man that's inside of us to live out our life the way Jesus intended for us to live. Amen? The following verses then talk about the very fact that you and I are, excuse me, as a disciple, we have to be willing to forsake all. Be willing to forsake all. He tells us later there in Luke chapter 14, as he goes on to talk about that in verses 28 down through around verse 33, he said, if you do not forsake all, you cannot be my disciple. What's the two key things to walk in a, in a lifestyle of forsaking all to be his disciple? Count the cost and consider. You're counting the cost. In other words, you're saying, guess what? It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost me to be a disciple. And to do that, what do I got to do? Consider. I got to consider the things in my life that would be a weight or a hindrance to me walking with Jesus and being a disciple. Or you're not going to wind up being a disciple. You're not going to continue to live the life you always lived and hold on to everything you ever held on to in relationship to this life and this world and be a disciple of Jesus. Or you already been, you'd already been one. So there are things you have to do what? You have to forsake. And then at the end of that chapter, at the bottom, excuse me, of those verses there in Luke uh, chapter 14, the last thing he actually talked, excuse me, I'm sorry, 
we went then over to uh, the book of John. I apologize. Then we went over to the book of John and we found out in John 15 that a disciple, number five, does what? He walks by faith and not by sight. So we saw that on Sunday. In John 15, he said, if you abide in me, now he's not talking about his word, he's talking about him. If you abide in me and my words, plural, abide in you, rhema, the spoken word. Faith comes by, hearing by the so if you do that, he said, you can ask what you desire and it shall be done of you. And therefore you shall bear much fruit and be my disciples. So that's talking about the very fact that you're bearing fruit through the faith that God gives you through the word and you're seeing results. So a disciple clearly living like Jesus is going to do what? Walk by faith and not by sight. John 13, we got some ground to cover tonight. We're going to probably be on this part uh, point six of our series here about the characteristic of a disciple, probably for about three services. This is one of the most, because really, if you don't get this down, the rest really don't, I mean, honestly, the rest won't work as you're going to see. So this is critical for me and you as a disciple. John 13, you still there? 13, 34, 33, 34, 35. Jesus said, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. By the way, context here. So he's already had the last supper. He's already acknowledged, acknowledged Judas the betrayer. He's about to go to the cross. And he makes this statement. I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. Notice this. Underline it. So now I say to you, since I'm leaving now I say to you, verse 34, a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you, underline this please, that you or make a note of it in your Bible, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's an important statement. He didn't just say love one another. He said you're to love one another as I have loved you. You love one another as I have loved you. Listen, that you also again do what? Love one another. Look at verse 35. By this, what he just said in verse 34. By this, all will know. Say all. All will know what? That you are my disciples. If you do what? Have love for one another. So what is this love? You and I are supposed to love one another the way Jesus Loves us. Or in his case, talking to his disciples, loved his disciples. This is number six on the list. You ready? Yeah. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you walk in the love of God. Don't just say walk in love. You walk in the love of God. Because the love of God is like no other love on the planet. It's God himself. We're going to talk a lot about this in this series because there's so many other attributes and things that you walk out as a believer that are affected by this. And you got to understand to walk in the love of God. The first thing we got to take, note, take note of is what he said in verse 34. He said again, you got to love one another as what? As I have loved you. So the problem that you get into Christianity of talking about the love of God is many people, I, I, honestly, I don't know that I've probably ever met a believer, you probably haven't either, who doesn't know we're supposed to walk in the love of God, right? So to be able to do that, there's several things we got to do. First thing we're going to start with tonight, you ready? We've got to define that love. You've got to define it. What is it? Because the truth is, I've known people that have actually said, well, we're supposed to love one another, and what they referred to as loving one another is not how Jesus loved us. So we have to understand what is God's love. We have to define it according to the Bible. We can't just assume we know. Can't just think we got it all figured out. Because I'll assure you, all of us continue to learn, could continue to learn more and get better at walking it. Amen? Amen? And it'll change everything about your life and even people around you. Amen. So realize for us to walk in the love of God, we have to do what? Walk in this love towards one another as he has loved us. So uh, obviously, we're not going to exhaust the subject. I mean, you'd have to just do a whole separate teaching on defining God's love. But I'm going to give you the basic overview that you'll without a doubt know exactly what God's love is like. Go to 1 John 2. 1 John chapter 2. We'll start over here. 1 John chapter 2. Because again, I've been told many different things in my life as a pastor even. Well, you're just not walking in the love of God. Well, let me help you. If I'm doing as Jesus did, I am. If I'm doing what Jesus did in relationship to walking love, I am. How many remember Jesus looked at the Pharisees one time and he said, you whitewashed sepulchers. 
Remember that? Listen, you know what he meant? Whitewash sepulcher? You know what whitewash means, right? That really, you're not changing what's on the inside. You're putting a whitewash on it to make it look like it's good on the outside. But inside, sepulcher is what? You're still dead. Obviously, spiritually. Well, that wasn't for a lot of people, obviously, in his day. That wasn't a real loving sounding phrase, was it? But he was, a lo- he was walking in love. Now, don't run around. Don't go find somebody and say, you whitewashed sepulcher, if you don't know what you're talking about. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that a lot of times people misunderstand the love of God. Now, at the same time, love, God's love is clearly not cruel. It's not harsh. It's not mean, uh, as we're going to see. But let's define it from the Bible. What do you say? I'm not going to define it for you. I'm going to let Scripture define it for you. We're going to pick it up here in 1 John 2, verse 6. If you've never understood or really had a teaching on defining God's love, you need, you need to pay attention tonight. And even if you have, you need to pay attention tonight. Because sometimes we tend to drift away and forget. Verse 6, notice this in 1 John 2, verse 6. Here it says, He who says he abides in him. He who says that he abides in him, abides in God, abides in the Lord. The phrase here, actually, that that little phrase, which I've told you this before, you might have a note next to your Bible if you've written the note down. The the phrase abides in him means intimacy with the Lord. You have an intimate walk with God. So people who say, well, I have an intimate walk with God, he goes on to say very clearly, ought himself also to do what? Walk just as he walked. If I say I have an intimate walk with God, then what should I do? I should be walking just like he did. I should be treating people the same way because obviously my intimate relationship with Jesus reveals to me and shows me how to walk in that kind of love. Verse 7, brethren, I write no new commandment to you. Now notice this is the brethren, and I'm going to explain why here in just a moment because born-again believers are the only ones that can walk in this actual love because it's God himself. I don't think a lot of people get that. Notice this, brethren, I write no new commandment to you. Meaning what? Well, he had declared before that you're to love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your uh, neighbors yourself. So it's not like I haven't told you this before, but it's new in the sense that now you can do it. Now you can walk it out because now you're going to have this love in you. I'm I'm just being nudged to go ahead and deal with this anyway. So when he talks about the brethren here walking the love of God, the reason he emphasizes that is twofold. Because one, again, a a non-believer doesn't have that love in him. Romans 5.5, the love of God was shed abroad in your heart when you got born again. So before you were born again, love of God wasn't in there. But the moment you got born again... Guess what? That love was shed abroad in your heart, right? By the Holy Spirit the moment you got born again. So this is why he's saying brethren to do this. Because obviously if you're not born again, it's not possible. Brethren, notice again, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Verse 8, again, a new commandment I write to you, which which thing is true, to him, notice this, in him and in you, because the darkness is what? Passing away. And the true light is what? It's already shining because he'd already been uh, crucified, raised from the dead, born again. John is now saying this true light is already available. You, meaning all he's saying here in verse 8 is, guess what? God gave us a commandment in the Old Testament to walk in love, but yet they were still affected by darkness because they didn't have that love in them. Right? But now in the new commandment, you can walk in this love and be free from darkness. They couldn't be free from darkness under the old covenant. They were still bound by darkness. When you got born again, the Bible says you came out of, out of the darkness into his glorious. No, it didn't. It said you came out of the darkness into his glorious love. Kingdom of his love. What would you come into? His love. Because you're born again. So now you have the ability to walk free from darkness. Aren't you glad about that? Guess what a key to doing that is? Walking in love. Walking in love. So again, he says, I'm telling you that this true light of the last part of verse 8 is already shining. 9. He who says he is in that light. So he who says he is in the light but hates his brother, he's still in darkness. In other words, he's not walking in the light he's been given. He's not been walking in that liberty that he's been given. Verse 10. He who loves his brother does what? Say it out loud with me, please. Say this. He who loves his brother abides in the light. Now, brother here doesn't just mean born again Christians. Brother here means humans, period, 
Because Jesus even said, I tell you, you've heard of old that you're to love one another, but I tell you to love even your enemies. So again, he who loves his brother abides in the light. Watch this. We're going to come back to this later in this, in this part of our series. It won't be tonight. But you want to make a note of this. Underline it. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. Wow. What do you mean? If you walk in the love of God, you're not going to get tripped up by the devil. If you walk in the love of God, guess what the devil can't do? He's darkness. Guess what he can't do? He can't trip you up. Light always trumps darkness. Come on, I've told you, they've never invented a flash dark. Why are there no flash darks? Because darkness doesn't overtake light. If there's light present, guess what gets removed? Darkness does. I mean, you want to walk in the light and not stumble. If you, want, if you truly want to walk in the light and not be tripped up by Satan, guess what you better do? You better really mature your love walk. Amen. The... The church is supposed to be a, I'm going to teach on this this year. I'm excited about it. I'm going to teach on the glory of God. The church is supposed to be a glorious church. All, the Bible even calls him the God of glory. Yes. That's his manifest presence. Yes. That's the manifest Shekinah presence of God. He's coming back for a church filled with that. That it's not in them, it's on them. It's noticeable. But you know one of the biggest hindrances to why church don't walk in that? They don't walk in love. It hinders that very Shekinah glory from coming out of their life. When you get out of love, Satan constantly works to get you out of the love of God for multiple reasons. Part of what we're going to talk about in this series is why is it so important to walk in love? Well, here's one of the keys. There is no cause for stumbling in him who does what? Abides in the light. So read it again, please, with me. Pay attention closely. Verse 9, he who says he's in the light, in the light, in the light, in the light. What's he in? The light. But he hates his brother. What is he? He's really in darkness. So very clear. If I'm walking, if I say I'm walking in the light, but I hate my brother, am I walking in love? So what, what is walking in the light? Walking in love. He tells you that. Verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in what? The light. Come on, help me out, church. Notice very clear. He said, he who, who loves his brother abides in the light. So all he's referring to in relationship to light and darkness here is, if you don't want to walk in darkness... If you want to walk in light, which is a lot of more than just, quote, unquote, being free from darkness, revelation from God, insight from God, wisdom from God, the power of God, the anointing of God, all these things are part of the light. You know, a lot of Christians don't have answers. They don't walk in love. If you don't walk in love, you walk in darkness. In other words, you walk devoid of the ability for God to illuminate to you what he wants you to see. Getting out of love hinders God's ability to reveal things to you. You know why? Because he reveals them to your spirit. Guess where that love is? In your spirit. And when you walk in darkness, you hinder the ability of that understanding to come to your knowledge of what God wants to reveal to you. This is so important. This is so critical. And I'll tell you what, you take any church that really truly starts walking in love and you're going to see the glory of God rise in that church. Thank you for all your amens about that. Watch this. He who loves his... Because what's going to come, what's going to come the more the church walks in love? Light. What's light? His manifest presence. What's it going to do? Drive out darkness. If, if, life's, if light, light is manifest in a church and people come in bound and they're in darkness, guess what that light's going to do? Guess what that glory's going to do? People are going to get set free. Verse 11. But he who hates his brother again is what? He's in darkness. And he walks in darkness and does not know. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has what? Blinded his eyes. So he can't get revelation from God. He can't get insight and answers from God. How many of you want to face any circumstance in your life of true importance and not be able to hear from God? How many of you want to do that? How many of you want to be able to hear from God? Walking in love is critical to that. Because if you're not walking in love, you're walking in darkness. You don't even know it because you have no idea where you're going. Can't see what God wants to show you. You can't pick up on it. Are you listening? So you and I got to understand the significance of walking in love. So let's define out of these verses a couple keys here of to what, uh, as to what God's love. What are we talking about tonight, church? We're talking about defining that love. 
Let's let the Bible define God's love to us tonight. What do you say? Verse 5. Whoever keeps his word. Whoever keeps his word. Whoever keeps his word. Well, I will if this goes right or that goes right. Nope. Whoever keeps his word. Come on, somebody. Well, but you just don't understand how my bosses treat me. Whoever keeps his word. You don't know what I'm going through. Whoever keeps his word. There's no exceptions to it. Whoever keeps his word, watch this, truly the love of God is what? Perfected in him. And by this we know that we are what? In him. Now that phrase there, that the, that the love of God is perfected in him, I'll give you a better understanding from a different translation. To be perfected there means God's love has truly taken root and filled him. That phrase, God's love is perfected in him, it's taken root within him, and it's done what? It's filled his life. How does God's, how does God's love take root in you? You get born again. But that's not enough. What does God need you to do with that love? Have it fill your life. Amen. And the word filled is overflowing. One, one statement in the context of the Greek language says it this way. Love found its target in your heart. And its goal was to fill your life to overflowing. And when that love fills your life to overflowing, guess what's going to be an absolute result of you actually walking in the love of God? What's going to be a result? Read the verse. Read the first part of the verse. Read it to me. What was it say out loud? Read it to me. Just read the first part of the verse. Whoever keeps his word. Whoever keeps his word. Whoever keeps his word. Truly the love of God is what? It's gotten rooted in him and it's filled his life. Right? So you got to get this in the right context of what he's saying. We don't go obey to walk in the love of God. When we walk in the love of God, guess what a result is? We obey God's word. So here's a definition of the, of the love of God. The love of God causes man to do what? Obey his word. He just said it. So a definition of God's love, God's love is proven through the obedience of the person walking in that love as they obey the word of God. You're not going to walk in the love of God and not obey God's word. That's right. If you walk in the love of God, you're going to obey God's word in every situation, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard, no matter how, how uh, you know, stressful in the sense of the natural it seems to you, it's not, you're not going to be affected by it because you're walking in the love of God. Amen? This is why Jesus was able to face all of his persecutors, all of the challenges he faced, all of the attacks. I'm going to tell you my opinion, and again, I, don't t- I tell you this all the time, we don't need to get into opinions, but I think it can be based out of the scriptures very easily as a proven fact, but I'm just saying as far as the direct verse that I'm going to quote. You remember when he came out of the wilderness after a time of temptation, what did he do when he came out of the wilderness? What was the first thing he did after he came out of the wilderness? He was up at the Sea of Galilee, by the way. I've been there. I saw where that synagogue was. Remember what he did when he came out of the wilderness? Because he was over on the east part of the area of, of, of Israel. He comes out of that wilderness over back to the Sea of Galilee. It's where Peter lived. Peter lived right next door to a synagogue. His house was right on the south side of the synagogue in this area of the Sea of Galilee. What did Jesus do when he came out of the desert? Does anybody know? He went into the synagogue. Remember? And he quoted out of Luke 4. Right? He qu- hey, guess what? He's now walking as the anointed son of God, the Messiah of the world, right after he gets water baptized. And you got to understand the layout of Israel. Like if you could see it, the sea, northern, northwestern part, Sea of Galilee is here, northwestern part's here, uh, the, the Jordan River's here, wilderness over here. He gets baptized in the River Jordan. What does the Holy Spirit do? Drives him out to the wilderness to be tempted. After 40 days and 40 nights, what does he do? He comes back across the Jordan. He comes over past the part of, I've been there, been over past the part of the northern Sea of Galilee. And he comes back over to the synagogue there that's right by Peter's house. This is where Jesus spent most of his ministry in the area of Sea of Galilee. And he goes into that synagogue and he reads out of Luke 4. And he says, hey, guess what? I'm here now, the anointed one. Come on, I'm here to remove burdens. I'm here to destroy yokes. I'm here to help set you free. For the Holy Spirit has come upon me. Spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, counsel, might, all these things. He's anointed me. Amen? To free the captives. Open the blind eyes. Right? Set at liberty. Were they happy about his message? They were not. They took him to a hill. 
They drug him to it. They actually took him over to a hill to try to throw him off. But what did he do? What did he do? Come on, they're trying to throw him off a hill and he turns around, he walks right through them. Let me tell you why. He's walking in the love of God. If you're walking in the love of God, what are you walking in? The manifest glory of God. If you're walking in the manifest glory of God, guess what? They can't stop you. No. <laughs> Preaching better already than your amen. This is how powerful the love of God is. Well, he was the son of God. This all, I hear this all the time when you bring up stuff, you know, incidents in Jesus' life. Uh, isn't a disciple supposed to live like him? Yeah, I mean, you talk about supernatural stuff happening in the lives of disciples, right? How about Joseph being translated? Yes. Supernaturally. Came up out of the water after water, huh? Philip, sorry. Philip, uh, water baptizes the guy of the eunuch, right? From, from the Queen Candace. And as soon as he gets done, he comes up out of the water and all of a sudden he's gone. Come on, somebody. See, when you walk in the love of God, you walk in the glory of God. And, and literally, Jesus could not be taken by him as he's, why? He didn't hold it against them. He didn't, he didn't have unforgiveness and bitterness towards them not receiving his message. He just chose to love them anyway. Walked right through them, went on about his business. Thank you for all your amends about my message tonight. Uh, praise the Lord. Glad you're here, Pastor Dale. Just preach to yourself because I like this message. Praise God. I get excited about it. So very clearly, number five, verse five, excuse me, verse five, first John two, five, what's an attribute of what we see of what defines God's love? God's love is seen in the life of a believer through obedience to the word. Now, listen, you gotta be careful about this. I don't mean you obey and that makes love work. No, you walk in love and guess what you're going to do? You're going to obey. You're going to obey. When you try to get people to obey God's word without understanding to walk in love towards God, it doesn't last. It don't last. But when you walk in the love of God, guess what? You're so in love with him, you have no problem doing what he's asking you to do. Amen. Amen. Obedience is a byproduct. Yes, it is. I said obedience is a byproduct. So what is the definition of God's love? Obedience is. Mm-hmm. Obedience is. It'll be seen in the life of a believer who walks in the love of God. If you drop down here a little further again, down here in verse 10, he said, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he, verse 11, who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So what's the second definition, pastor, for God's love? You ready? Here's a second definition. Love doesn't hate. Love has no hate in it. So let's explain hate. The Bible word for hate here is to abhor, to abhor, to detest, or despise. To abhor somebody, to detest them, to despise them. We're not supposed to be doing any of that. That's all the definition of hate. It It becomes with an intent of malice to harm, whether through words or actions. Guess what slander is? It's a form of hatred. Because your purpose is to harm. You still with me? That ain't the love of God. If I obviously am going to walk in the love of God, second definition of the love of God, guess what the love of God doesn't do? Doesn't hate. Does not hate anybody. It doesn't mean you have to like everybody. Love doesn't mean you got to have everybody as your buddy. There's a lot of New Testament scriptures warn you about certain even believers to stay away from. Just as a protection factor. That doesn't mean you, you don't want to obviously have fellowship with anybody. No. But you also got to guard against certain people that you know can uh, clearly, according to Scripture, hurt your life. Even those who can keep you out of the love of God. Let me, let me tell you who you don't want as a friend in the body of Christ. You ready? A gossiper. A slanderer. Because you know what you're going to do? Same, you're going to start doing the same thing. They're going to get you out of the love of God. So the second key definition of the love of God is guess what? The love of God never does what? Never hates anybody. Has no hate in it. 1 John 3. 1 John chapter 3, if you turn over to the third chapter. 1 John has a lot to say about the love of God. 1 John chapter 3. You still with me? You're awful quiet tonight. Are you just listening real hard and not amening much because of it or something? Or 
First John chapter 3. This, this is what will change the church. This is what will change the world. This is what literally changed Jesus' world, and it will change ours. It'll change things around you. I'm serious. It'll change situations with other people. It'll cause you to even see some people around you change as well. First John 3, verse 18. First John 3, verse 18. <coughs> Excuse me. What are we doing? Defining what the love of God really is, according to the Bible. So we know the love of God clearly does what? It obeys God. The love of God does not do what? Hate other people. Let's look at another definition. Verse 18. My little children, so we know he's talking to believers. My little children, let us not what? Love in word or in tongue. So does that mean I don't have to ever, ever say anything lovely to somebody? No. <laughs> Read the rest of the verse. But in deed and in truth. The actual Greek language says it this way. That you're to show, listen, you're to show the truth of quote unquote what love really is by your actions. You're to show the truth of what love really is by what? By your actions. Because you know, you could tell somebody you love them, but your actions show you uh, obviously you're living a whole different way of lifestyle. Just because you claim you love somebody doesn't mean you really do. Right? right. Chinese proverb. Let's see if I can get it right. Brother Hagen used to quote it all the time. I quoted it the other day. Uh, other night, I think it was last Wednesday night. Uh, your, your, your actions speak so loud we don't hear your words. <laughs> think about that. Your actions speak so loud we don't hear your words. So love is not something that's just, it, it, it is spoken. Say it is spoken. Jesus spoke in love. He's not saying you don't ever obviously speak in love. But he's saying you just, if you just say you walk in love but you don't have actions that follow, then the truth is you're not walking in the love of God. You still here? The third definition. This is important. Well, let me add another verse to it, sorry. Go down to chapter 4, verse 8. I haven't, I haven't given you the definition yet. Just wanted to see that verse. So we're to put uh, actions to our love. Let me show you this. First John, a little further down, chapter 4, verse 8. He who does not love does not what? Know God. Now that's intimacy again. He does not know God. Underline this, please, for God is what? Love. So if one, love is not just word spoken, it's an action. It's something I do. And it is also God. This is point number three of what love is. You ready? Love. Ready? Love. You sure? Yeah. It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's God himself. Love is God himself. So he told you, you and I are supposed to walk in that love as proof by actions that we truly do to understand and walk in the love of God. So the love of God, clearly if I'm supposed to act on it, ain't based on how I feel. Right? right? If I'm supposed to prove through my actions that I walk in the love of God, does that have anything to do with how I feel? No. No, not at all. And he said, if I know God and I walk in love, I'm of, if I walk in love, I know God because God is what? Love. Let me help you. God's not a feeling. No, he's, not. he's a person. That's right. Hallelujah. Yes. And thank you, Jesus, that a part of God himself is actually in your spirit, man, breathed by the Holy Spirit in your spirit, man, part of his DNA, which is love itself. So this is a problem with a lot of people when it comes to love. Most Christians today still only walk in what they think is love based on their feelings. Based on if obviously their feelings aren't hurt, the person didn't do them wrong, or if they feel like walking in love towards them. Yeah, but you don't understand. I've walked in love for years and years and years with this person, this guy I know at work, this friend of mine, whatever, and they still don't walk in love toward me. It has nothing to do about what you do. Because it ain't based on a feeling. Now, the world's love is based on feelings. Now, let me explain something. If you choose to walk in love, which is an action, say it's an action. If you choose to walk in love, guess what will eventually change? Your feelings. It'll change your feelings towards other people. If you really let the love of God by actions, say actions. So why did he say don't love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth through your actions? Because guess what love is? It's an act. It's something you do. It's a choice you make. It's a decision you make. It's a decision to make to do according to what Scripture says love would do. If you want to know the simple basic rule of love, Jesus said it in Matthew 7. You do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah. Not based on what they do or don't do. You want to treat them, you want to speak to them the way you want them to speak to you. Well, once they start speaking to me, no, so you're going by feelings. You're going by how you feel about it, not what God said about it. But love's not a feeling. It's God himself. We're choosing, think about this, when I choose to act upon the love of God that's in me, 
Who am I actually releasing through me? God. Because God's love. So still a lot of Christians are hung up on the feeling thing because they don't feel like loving other people or they don't feel like they're loved. So why would I love them back? Well, Jesus certainly didn't feel loved on the cross. But he loved them anyway. Forgave them all. Ask the Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, but these people know what they're doing. Doesn't matter. Love's not a feeling. And this is why spiritual development is so critical because it's your spirit man dominating. And if your spirit man really dominates, you know, you can learn stuff in your head and not live it out. A lot of Christians know stuff in their head, but it's not proven through their walk. Can I get a better amen? If you're walking in love, let me help you. You're not a sourpuss walking around like, that's not love. Jesus, people wanted to be around Jesus. Why would kids want to be around Jesus? Why were kids drawn to him so much? You know what kids want to be around? People that obviously attract them that they think are somebody that they would really like to be around. Well, that ain't a bunch of sourpuss, you know, upset, you know, frustrated old people. No, they avoid them kind of people, but they didn't avoid Jesus. They wanted to be around him all the time. You know why a lot of Christians don't? If you look at all the fruit of the Spirit, I've told you this before. So if you go through the fruit of the Spirit, John 5, uh, excuse me, Galatians 5, 22, 23, what's the first fruit? It does, now all the rest of those are important. You should learn to practice them. But you know what? Guess what all the rest will come off, come, come off of based on your lifestyle? Love. If you walk in love, guess what you'll have? What's the second fruit? Joy. If you don't have joy, I can tell you why. You're not walking in love. How do you walk in the love of God, God himself, and not have joy? <laughs> are you kidding me? How can you walk in an acknowledgement of God himself who is love? Through your life and not have joy and not have peace. Come on. And not have goodness and kindness and meekness and self-control and all these things going on. I'll tell you why. Because you're not really walking in love. If you walk in love, all those other fruits follow after that love. They're like a byproduct of the love of God. That's why Jesus didn't say, now, let me give you this commandment. Walk in love. Walk in joy. Walk in. No, he just said walk in love. Because if you walk in love, all those other things are a byproduct. Amen. How can I tell if I'm not walking in love? You ain't got much joy in your life. You're not very joyous about life. I said it earlier at the start of our service. God didn't come to make you happy. Oh, let's just be happy, happy, happy. No, happy is referring to what's going on around you. Your circumstances. Joy is a whole different level, man. Joy is a spiritual, powerful fruit that's a part of your spirit, man, that will cause you to put a smile on your face and look happy. Even when you might not be in the natural real happy about what's going on. doesn't affect your spirit, man. Well, I can see I, I need to take about the next 30 days to teach on love. Because I'm not getting a whole lot of response from this church family. This is critical, guys. If you want to truly experience the very things that God has for your life, you're going to see Sunday, if I get there, you're going to see Sunday that your faith will not work without love. The reason a lot of Christians don't see their faith working is not because they don't have faith. Because they don't have love. Faith, Galatians 5, 6. I'm already way ahead of myself now. Works through love. Faith works through. Faith works through. What's faith? It's a powerful force inside you. Faith, God taught me this a long time ago. Faith is like a, you know electric generating plant. And faith is what that plant produces. Faith is what that plant creates. The power that's there available to be harnessed, to be used. You listening? So we hear the word of God. What, is, what happens? That power gets produced. Faith comes by hearing. hearing by the... So all of a sudden this power gets produced. But guess what? You got to have a way to transmit it. You got to have something for it to flow through. Right? If you have no electrical wires, you could have all the power in the world that could power a city, but it does no good if you have no way to get it there. Christians don't realize you got all this power in you, this faith in you, and a lot of Christians don't see it working. You know why? Because without love, you got no way to put it where it needs to go. You got no way to release that power to get it working for you. So understand again, another definition, third definition of love. Love is not a feeling. Say it. Love is not. I would like everybody to say it with me, please. Love is not a feeling. Oh, I'm not going to repeat after you. I'm just telling you repeat after the word of God. Love's not a feeling. Love's not a feeling. Love is an action. Why? Because it's a fruit inside me. It's a choice I make. It's a decision I make. That's why, that's why forgiving people has nothing to do with how you feel about them. Nothing at all. 
If people wrong you, are you still going to have hurt feelings? Oh yeah, that's your soul. Am I supposed to live by that? Oh no. What am I supposed to go by? The love of God. What will the love of God do? Change your hurt feelings. It'll heal the hurt. It'll cause all that to be overcome by God himself. God's love. He'll overcome those hurt feelings. A lot of people hold on to stuff and hurt in relationship to other people because they've never forgiven. And they don't realize that's why they've never gotten healed. And that's why they're still hurting. God can't heal you if you don't walk in love. You still with me? So this is powerful, man. You got to understand according to 1 John 3, 18, 1 John 4, verse 8, love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It is God himself. It's God himself. And when you choose to walk in love, what are you really choosing to do? Walk in God and let God walk through me. Another way to say it is, I love what Miss Renee says, you know, Renee Mize. Everywhere you go, guess what? God shows up. God comes with you. But that don't mean he's allowed to work through you. He's there because he's inside you. But wouldn't it be great to have him working through us, not just showing up with us? And a lot of times he's not working through us because we do what? We get out of love. You still here? I've known people get mad at doctors. I've known people get mad at other family members. I've known people get of stuff other people have said at coworkers, at what a boss said. And all they're doing is they're allowing the enemy to keep the miracle working power of God from flowing into their life as an individual, flowing into the aspect of their, uh, what they're doing with their life with God's, God's work with his hands, uh, the, hands you do, the work of your hands for God. God is limited when you get out of love because you're out of God. I get a better amen. You need to make sure you look at your life and say, as relating to other people, it's amazing that oftentimes people who claim all these other believers don't walk in love are the ones themselves that don't walk in love. We all need to work at getting better. Right? The Bible says, don't be going after that little speck in your buddy's eye unless you take the plank out of your own. And I have seen that most people who claim most people who harp on, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about teaching on it. I'm not talking about encouraging people in it. I'm talking about people who come down on Christians who don't walk in love. Well, guess what? Those people who do that, guess what they're not doing? They're not walking in love. Because if they were, they wouldn't be coming down on them. They'd be encouraging them. They'd be lifting them up. They'd be saying, come on, man. God's got a much higher place for you to live. What a great way we can live our life. Ephesians chapter 4. You still with me? Yes. Couple more verses. Come on, you're almost done for tonight. Ephesians chapter four. We're round in the corner, man. We're coming around that fourth turn. We're about to hit the home stretch. Feed for tonight. Ephesians chapter four. But you know, I will be back. I'll be back. Ephesians chapter four. Amen. Thank you, Miss Tamra. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you're giving some amens because I ain't getting many here. I can hear them all the way from Oklahoma. Praise the Lord. You probably shout and run around the room. Praise God. Dog's probably looking at you going, what's wrong with that lady? <laughs> Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. She's helping Miss Donna out, Oklahoma. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Your hubby's here. I said, so how's the bachelor life? He said, uh, kind of tough. If <laughs> you looking forward to you getting home. Ephesians chapter 4. Are you still with me? So in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, you all know that we re refer to and talk a lot about the fivefold ministry gifts here. And then in the midst of the fivefold ministry gifts, he says in verse 14, you and I are not to continue to live the life of children, immature believers. Mm -hmm. Are you in Ephesians 4? Yeah. Are you at verse 14? Yeah. He tells us we should no longer live, we should no longer live or be children, immature believers is the word there, napios, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, wrong things spoken, taught. That's not just godly, that's even talking about what men teach. Notice this, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So he's saying that you got to beware as an immature believer you're going to walk in a position as an immature believer to be easily taken advantage of by wrong teachers and other people that will try to teach you things that are contrary to the word. I'm going to put that out there again. If I'm an immature believer, how much easier is it for Satan to use people to take advantage of my life and to trick me in the way that obviously I'm hearing something 
or to think somebody else must be telling me the truth and not my pastor or not this minister that I know God's called me to or whatever. Or I'm just listening to what the world says and now all of a sudden I'm questioning God. Has anybody ever questioned God from something you heard in the world? Boy, I have when I was a younger believer because that's what immature believers do. So I want you to get this point. He says in verse 14, we're not supposed to remain an immature believer, these napios children of, of God that are tossed about by every form of teaching or everything that comes along through the trickery of men, by the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. They're trying to take advantage of your life. Now, some may not even know it because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but the enemy's using them. Verse 15, what, but how do we not walk in this immaturity as a believer and how do we not get and take advantage of as a young, as a young believer or an immature, how do we not stay immature and therefore get taken advantage of? Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love Amen. so you may grow up. You may what? Grow up in all things. All things. All, th- all of what you have to walk in the light of as a believer, God wants you to mature in part of the body, your calling, as well as maturing in your individual walk with God, maturing in what God has given you, the gifts and abilities to do. So in speaking the truth in love, he, it, the reason we're to do that is that you may do what? Grow up in all things. Into him, Jesus, who is the head. He's the head, we're the body. Christ, notice again, from whom, verse 16, Jesus, the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in what? Love. Love. But you know why a lot of Christians never get there? Because here's another definition of love. Love speaks the truth. Love speaks the truth. Love doesn't lie. Let me, let me take a moment to spend some time on this in closing tonight. Love doesn't lie. Love doesn't tell people, uh, excuse me, love doesn't hide things from people that they know is harming their life. So I've had multiple times in my life, family situations, even with my dad, even with my brother, as well as even believers in my church, where I saw stuff hurt in their life. Love doesn't cover that up. Love doesn't hide that and say, well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to upset them. That's not love. That is not love. If somebody is hurting their life and doing things that are clearly wrong and could take advantage of their life in the context of darkness now overtaking them, what should somebody who's a believer who loves God and should love others do? He should go speak the truth to them. Right? Don't ever think that by hiding something from your spouse is a right way to go. Well, I won't say anything because if I say something, they're going to get all upset. What are you going to do? Lie about it? You listening? We're not supposed to lie. We're not supposed to hide things. Love does what? Speaks the truth. Guess what happens when you know the truth by, by uh, uh, experience in your life? It sets you free. Well, it's pretty obvious why the devil don't want to speak in the truth. He don't want you liberated. He don't want you free. Right? Love speaks the truth. Say it. What kind of love? God's love. Now this is multifolded here, multifaceted, excuse me here. The love of God speaks the truth. Meaning what? One, I don't lie to other people. Two, that means if, that, if my pastor loves me, if, if obviously believers that are leadership in this church are obviously here to help me to grow in God, guess what they're not going to do? They're not going to back away from the truth. You know what the average church does today? Tickle their itch and ears. Why? They don't want to tell them the truth. You know why? They'll get offended and leave. Well, we don't want to do that. We've got to keep people in church. What are you accomplishing by that? Right. You're not making disciples out of them. Right. And you're allowing them to continue to be bound by not telling them the truth. Sadly, it's like our pastor says, you pastors better learn that guess what? The day you live in as a pastor today, he's even said it to, he, I think he said it when he was here this last time, even as a believer. Guess who's not the most popular on the planet right now? Jesus. If you're going to walk with Jesus, guess what? You're not going to be real popular. He's not the most popular guy on the planet. So if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, forget about being popular. But for the ones that will listen to you, you'll free them. You'll see miracle working power. Say love speaks the truth. So one, I, that's twofold. I have to be somebody who's not afraid to speak the truth. Now you speak it in love. You don't speak it harshly. 
Well, that's right, bless God. I'm glad Pastor brought that up. Let me just tell you some truth that needs to be. That's not talking in love. You're supposed to reveal the truth, but you're to do it in love. But there's a second side to that. If love is speaking the truth to me, guess what I need to do to walk in love? Receive it. What if you don't receive it? You won't receive the correction God has for your life, and you'll continue to be misled by Satan. Can I get a better amen? This is why the Bible tells you in the book of Hebrews, those who have been given a position of, of a context of rule or authority in a, in a place of responsibility to speak in your life, speak over your life, you're to submit to them. Not me, the individual, the very truth of God's word they're telling you. If they come to you, I can't tell you, it breaks my heart how many times I have sat with people who've been a part of my church individually and they've come to me and they're saying, well, this is going on, this is going on. I say, oh, I got it, I got it. Let me show you what to do according to the Bible. And they get all upset and get mad. No, no, this is what the Bible says. You don't understand. No, I do understand. I have the answer. It's right here. Why would we go anywhere besides the Word of God to get an answer anyway? It's right here in the Word of God. Well, that's not what I want to hear. I know. But that's the answer. So if you're unwilling to receive that, what are you, willing, what, what are you unwilling to receive? Exactly right, Miss Donna. You're unwilling to receive the love of God. If you don't let God love on you, how's He going to change you? He can't. God's a God of truth. I mean, this is powerful. In the book of Hebrews, you know what it says? God chastens everybody he loves. I see that put a smile on everybody's face tonight. God chastens everybody he loves. Now, chasten disciplines. It doesn't mean he brings storms to your house and he knocks things down and he tears stuff up. No. How does God correct us? I've taught you this many times. Through the word of God, through godly leadership, and through the Holy Spirit. Proven in the Bible, New Testament. Right? But guess what? He will discipline you. He will bring truth to correct you. You know why he'll do it? Because he loves you. Because he's a God of truth and he's a God of love. And if we don't accept the very truth of what God's trying to say through our leadership, who God's anointed to help us, and we're unwilling to receive what God is telling us through that leadership, based on the Bible, backed up with Scripture, then guess what we're not receiving? We're not receiving the love of God. If you don't receive the love of God, God himself, you can't receive correction. What do you continue to do? You will continue to walk as an immature believer tossed about by every wrong thing. That's going to take advantage of your life. But you don't have to. I said you don't have to. Let's review real quick. Definitions of love. We'll see some more on Sunday because this is going to be a pretty in-depth part of our series. I'm not going to rush through this and just throw a couple verses out. This is, this is the... Greatest thing you can learn as a believer that's the most life-changing event of your life. The more you learn to walk in love, the more you'll see change and the more you'll see development and the more you'll see growth and the more you'll see answers and things happen in your life above everything else because you're walking in God. So God's love does what? God's love itself produces obedience to God. If I'm walking in love, what's going to be the result? Obedience. That comes right back to the last point of correction. Because if I receive the love of God, what he's telling me, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to receive correction. I'm correctable. Guess who's correctable? People who receive the love of God. Second definition of love, it does not hate. Say it doesn't hate. That means to abhor, to detest, or despise, or in any way to have malice or desire to harm or get back at somebody. That's not love. I said that's not love. Third, love is not a feeling. But it's what? God himself. It's God himself. And finally, love does what? It speaks the truth. Meaning what? Not only do I speak the truth with others, I'm willing to receive it into my life because it's that truth that's going to help me to correct my life and to get set free. Name me one Christian, please. Name me one Christian on the planet today that still doesn't need correction and things adjusted in their life. I'm waiting. There's not one. We all still need adjustments. We all still need a correction. Right? Going through this life, as I've taught you biblically, lots of scripture that back this up. doesn't talk about a plane, but I just use this as an example. Going through scriptures like flying a plane. I remember the first time I got to fly a plane. 
to this day, I still want to get my pilot's license at some point if I ever get a chance to. But I love to fly, man. I've always loved to fly. Uh, closest I've ever got, I, I, I used to dream all the time as a kid at night. I'd have dreams like I was a bird. You know, I'd just fly anywhere, man. Slap my wings and take off. One time, my brother and I actually got an idea. And we so wanted to do this uh, to anyway get up in the air somehow we could kind of float and fly, whatever. We thought, we're going to make our own parachute. So we did. My parents weren't home, of course, so <laughs> they were gone. I was like, I think, 10, 9 or 10, so he'd have been 11 or 12, right in there somewhere. So what we did, we pulled a sheet off of one of our beds, and we went and found some rope. And we tied all the corners, man, with rope, and we tied all that around a belt. And my brother said, you going to try to said, you bet, you ain't going first, I'm going to fly, man. I strapped that belt around me, and we, were, we lived in a, an apartment that was two-story, I crawled up on the second story roof of that apartment, stuck a ladder out there and crawled up and got up there. I said, here I go. And I jumped, I threw that thing up in the air and guess what the sheet did? <laughs> guess what I did? Whoa. <laughs> Thankfully it was grass there. <laughs> I was pretty sore, but I found out it didn't work. Didn't work. I need a real parachute for that to work. But I remember the first time I flew a plane as I was actually uh, still rodeoing, my dad one time on a weekend that I had like three rodeos to go to, he said, man, uh, I've got a pilot, you know, it works for my business. He said, let me just rent a plane. I'll go with you and we'll get you to those three rodeos instead of having to drive, for, uh, drive to them up north, north there, northern part of Arizona. I said, great, wonderful, praise the Lord. So we go to the airport, we get in a little four, four-seater uh, Cessna and uh, I'm in the back initially, but on the way back, this guy knew I wanted to fly and so he asked my dad, hey, can he sit up with me? Oh, sure, man, so I got to sit up front. So we take off, you know, and this is like before a lot of computer stuff in the smaller planes, you just flew by, flew by sight. And so basically he gets up in the air and we're going back towards Scottsdale Airport from up northern Arizona and he said you see those two mountains right there I said yep he said you just face this plane right towards those two mountains he said I'm gonna show you how to fly get your hands on the wheel so I did and he showed me all the instruments and stuff most important instrument ready altimeter he said now we got to stay in a certain range we can't go below that can't, if we go below that we get a tower anything we couldn't see we go above it we could run into another plane we have to stay within this certain window. So you got to watch that altimeter all the time. Everybody, anybody been up in front of a plane before like that, small plane? Craziest thing is you have no idea, a line of sight, you have no idea where you're at without looking at the altimeter because you have nothing to go by. And so we're flying along and all of a sudden, after he'd been instructing me for about 10 minutes, I look over, he's sitting back there like this, man, just looking at me. I said, what are you doing? He said, you're doing good, man, just keep flying the plane. Just face it towards those two mountains. See that V right there? Just keep it. But watch that altimeter. And all the way back, guess what I kept hearing? <clears throat> what? Look at the altimeter. Whoa, how did we all of a sudden gain 500, you know, uh, kilometers? Okay, I'll bring it back. I'll bring it back down. See, I'm talking about Christianity. Christianity is like flying a plane. You got to constantly make adjustments. Because there's winds and things constantly trying to push you off course. You're in a fallen world. And if you don't think you don't have to constantly make adjustments as a believer, Satan's already taken advantage of your life. Right. We have to make constant adjustments. Amen? Amen? Did you make it back? I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, I got it all the way back. I said, wow, do I get to land it? Now I'm feeling pretty positive. He said, uh-uh. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll land it, man. But it was pretty cool, man. I'll tell you what, it was easier than driving a car. Piece of cake. Because you know why? We had no bad weather. We didn't have any of the problems with clouds or anything like that. We didn't have all the problems that could come along with flying a plane that you got to learn about. You still here tonight? How important is love? A disciple, critical to every other aspect of their life, they're going to walk in love. They must choose to, in essence, God is love. Walk in what? Walk in God. So we're going to further define love on Sunday and then we're going to get into understanding why it's so important. You're going to see so many things that should just shake you to your core if you're not really making the effort to walk in love. Now, I don't mean to scare you. I'm just saying stuff that's very clear. You already saw one of them in 1 John chapter 2. If you're not walking in love, you're walking in darkness. I don't want to walk in darkness. You listening? But there's many warnings in the Bible, New Testament, about not walking in the love of God and how that will affect your life in a negative way. So clearly a disciple is going to do what? Walk in love. Walk in love. Stand your feet.
pray that you were blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours. Thank you.